0: Good morning, Northbridge. My name is Ray the pastor for preaching. We're going to get into the Word of God in just a few minutes, um, but a couple of things. So this is going to sound a little bit like announcements, just some some housekeeping things as we get started into God's Word this morning. Um, one, you guys are doing a great job on Connect events. Um, So well that that Grace and I got bumped from a connect event yesterday that we were looking forward to Um, a dinner. We were on like the if 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 you don't if it doesn't fill up, we will come. Um, But then we found out there was ribeye on the menu. And uh, so that was quite disappointing. So I ended up grilling last night outside in the snow um, because I was hungry for steak. Um, and so it's just great to see, you know, those Connect events that are going on and, uh, and your participation in those and hosting those. Um, we have a need for connection. It's an unusual time, and so we have to uh, um, connect in ways that we can. And so those events allow us um, to do so. Um, uh, also, um, last week with uh, we uh, Caleb, who, who spoke, And we had a number of men who responded on the connection card and responded in a way that they said, you know, along the lines of, you know, this was convicting, God's empowering me to change in a particular way. and We want to get behind that. And so if you were a guy that responded and you would like a copy of Standing on the Promises, a handbook for biblical child rearing, just use your connection card today. So if you responded last week and said, hey, in some way, like I, 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 this was convicting, I need to work on this, I need to change in this particular way, we have a great resource. You can see it's not like an encyclopedia, it's a, it's, but it is packed with some great information um, on uh, leading a family. Um, I, I have a, a couple, you know, that that said, um, I have a couple that I'd ask for you to, to pray for. Um, they were youth leaders, parents, in the youth group when I came to Michigan. Their names are Jerry and Cindy Cuddy, and I began to think about them. They are in poor health, both of them. I'll explain the situation, but as I began to think about this particular couple, um, I, I just realized that that I have a confession that I think over the years I've taken too much credit um, for uh, things that happened in youth group and realized that all through my tenure over a decade of doing youth ministry, that the youth ministry, family ministry that we did was no stronger than the parents we had involved. And such was the case with Jerry and Cindy. Um, Jerry uh, worked in a machine shop uh, before he retired and also had a farm. So he would work sometimes 10 hours a day in the machine shop and then chores on the farm and hunted and fished, you know, salted the earth kind of a uh, kind of a guy. And um, but yet at the same time was was so involved in in church. Um, we had um, at the time that I was a youth pastor up north. Um, the pastor was there for three months and then moved to Kalamazoo. And so I taught Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night prayer meeting, youth group, Thursday night visitation, and three classes, three Bible classes in the school um, that were there, along with all the other responsibilities. And it was was a tough year. But Jerry and Cindy were right there. Um, Jerry was the one that... Um, we went out on, on Thursday night visitation. I can remember one time. I have lots of stories. I could probably spend the rest of the time telling you stories. But I do remember one time where I was talking. I was telling and Jerry, was like, we were driving the church van. Um, and uh, we were going to visit a couple, because that's what you do up north. You don't call. You just go out on Thursday night and you show up and they invite you in, and they feed you. So Thursday night visitation was a wonderful thing up north. So I'm driving the church van, and, and Jerry said four times, he said, uh, Pastor, you might want to slow down. Pastor, you might want to slow down. And what I didn't know is that there was this like steep kind of hump in the road. that He said he said it four times. I don't remember him saying it once, but I do remember that we got all four wheels of the church van off the ground. <laughs> Um, in the air, <laughs> and uh, um, those were. It. And then one night we hit a flock of turkeys. We took two home. Jerry, Jerry dressed them um, as well. So uh, we ran through a flock of turkeys. We, Jerry and Cindy, were um, were the the parent sponsors when I took um, the young people from up in Gladwin County at the church uh, to New York Gospel Outreach. They've been involved in that for a number of years, and so we took these kids, some who have never been out of Gladwin County. Um, And stayed in the Pennsylvania Hotel in New York City and uh, did all kinds of different um, activities um, with Manhattan Bible Church. Now, at the time, um, the Pennsylvania Hotel was the host hotel for the gay games. So we had um, young people, we had 600 young people, 600, 800 young people there occupying several floors. And uh, and then we had these kids from northern Michigan, some who had never been out of the county. So it was an eye-opening experience in Compassion. And um, as we were there to share Christ with, uh, with and, and give young people an opportunity to see multiple cultures and all kinds of things there in New York City. And Jerry and Cindy Cuddy were the parent sponsors um, for that driving. So um, my heart goes out to them. Um, and um, they, uh, Cindy has a degenerative disease um, and uh, is actually in a nursing home. Jerry has um, had a condition where he has uh, um, bad hips and several hip replacements um, and uh, is not doing well as well. Um, in fact, this week I'm going to go up to take him to an appointment um, in Lansing. And uh, so they're, they're actually unable to see each other. And Cindy's condition is such that um, it, it's going to take her life. So I just ask that you would that you would pray um, for these—they uh, have two boys um, and who are married, have children—and just uh, that you would pray for this uh, incredible couple. Um, have been in the church and served uh, faithfully all of their all of their lives. Um, also, uh, you know, I mentioned here that we have a, a book for our men um if you're wondering you know some of the things that have been if we we did have i i did want to make something available to the the ladies i only have one copy of it though Uh, this is an excellent book it's called eve and eden the restoration of femininity it's an incredible book and if you're wondering about some things for your family based on the message that was shared and and so far this as we've come in uh in first timothy um, this is an incredible book. The forward is written by Nancy Percy, and anything that's written by her is great. But this book is written by C. R. Wiley. Recovering a Christian Vision for the Family, the Household, and the War for the Cosmos. This is incredible. So, if um, if you have, one of the things that you understand is that um, a household by maintaining a biblical household, we are actually we actually it's an it's an act of spiritual warfare to do good in the world in, um, in creating and maintaining a, a biblical household. And this is really an interesting, Rory Groves has written this book, um, The Durable Trades, Family-Centered Economics, That Have Stood the Test of Time. And it's he links like economic systems um, to families. How does families affect economics? Um, but in particular, uh, how... Um, how the trades, working with your hands and skills, the trade skills, how important they are and, uh, in, in, um, in raising families. It's just, it is like, it's really, really interesting, especially um, if you're uh, a dad and you're interested in those kinds of things. I think if I had to do it over, and we all could do it differently if we did it over, I think I would just teach my, my boys reading, writing, arithmetic, rhetoric. Um, and uh, music, and then like trades, because you can always use um, the trades. They're, they're invaluable. So that's just a great, it's a great book on family and the durable trades. Okay, also, a couple of things. In March, we've been talking about the, the discipline of godliness. In March, we have a special speaker coming in March Sunday, March 14th. Um, he's been here before, Pastor Greg, Greg Blossom, or Glenn Blossom, And he is going to to talk about the discipline of rest. So that's a a Sunday to mark on your calendar. And then in the month of April, um, we have a special series called God in Government, All of Christ in All of Life. So the first Sunday is Easter, and I will be preaching. We'll do that together. But then the rest of the month of April, the first Sunday in May, we are going to, we're bringing in a special speaker for four Sundays. Um, to talk about God and government, and those are the topics on each Sunday, the four governments that God gives us. That will be an engaging series for all of us um, as a church, so do plan to be present or online during um, that month. All right, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to First Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5, we have um, a short passage And hopefully, since I had all of this in the way of introduction, also a short message because it has one point. So because it has one point, I'm going to make two points in my introduction. How's that? So 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're looking at verses 1 and 2 in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So 1 Timothy is towards the end of your Bible, First and 2 Timothy. Um, and you'll, you'll come on 1 and 2 Timothy. Um, if you hit, the easiest way is to find Revelation and turn, turn back towards a few, a few pages back towards the front of the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The Word of God says this. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. This is the word of the Lord. So as we get into this, just these two verses, um, as we get into these two verses, there's two principles. I want to just set the stage, okay? This is like putting silverware out on the table, the, the bowls, the cups, the saucers, the napkins, right? I want to just set the table with these two principles. In some way, we're going to um, apply as we get into these first couple of verses. Um, one, the first principle is a commitment to shifting. We, we need to have a commitment to shift, and it's really important because as you go through these first um, four chapters, there's a lot here for us to do there is a lot here for us to do Um, there there is a commitment if we have a commitment to a household um, both a the body of Christ as household and the households that make up the body of Christ there is a lot that we need to obey here in this passage but the shift is this that oftentimes um, we are more committed to churchianity than christianity We're more committed to churchianity than Christianity. What what do I mean by that? Is that we have perceptions that are informed more by the greater culture and the church culture than we have informed by God's word. If we are to obey, we are to look at God's word and say, how does this change how we are operating in our daily life, right? That's, if we're applying the, the word of God, then it's going to create a shift away from um, the pressures, right, the pressures of the culture. And we are to, as what Paul says in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So there's certain things are, that, that are to be transformed. But we also have church culture. In a lot of ways, COVID has shook that up to the core and that honestly has been a really really good thing. It's been a blessing because it's causing us to really think about what are we doing that is really just churchianity and what are we doing that really is following after Jesus. Right? So the the first thing that we that we need to to think about as we come into this passage. And and I want us all of us cuz the application of these first couple of verses it is primarily to me and to Mark and to John. He's not here in the room. He's coming next service. As elders, this is written to pastors, right? So, um, but it's written to pastors because we are to shepherd the household. And so there's some particular instructions here. But it's also written to those that shepherd the there's a secondary or derivative application to those that shepherd their home to fathers, to heads of households, right? So that would include single moms in this, um, that there's a particular way that we are to interact with one another. And in order to do that, we have to make a shift, right? A cultural shift, a church culture shift, um, but we have to think as God thinks and as He instructs in the Bible, so we have to prepare our hearts for that. Um, second is, in order to when we talk about this discipline of godliness, we cannot we cannot forget the principle of grace in this. The principle of grace. Yes, the Bible has commands. Yes, the Bible has demands, but it is fueled by grace. That's really important. Right? So there are streams I can catch this, okay? There are streams of Christianity that are about what you do. And that's it. That is tiresome. There are derivative forms of Christianity. There are people that claim to be a people of the book or um, the word of a prophet or those. And they, it is, this is what you do, this is how you measure up. These are the demands. And it is graceless. That is not Christianity when it's just simply what you do. Right? But it doesn't mean that the gospel itself doesn't place particular commands or demands on our life. It just fuels them with grace. When we respond, um, John's going to, to um, sing the song Rock of Ages. In the, in, in the hymn Rock of Ages... You'll see this phrase, it it talks about the double cure, right? The double cure is that the grace of Jesus Christ that when he dies for sin, he is our forgiveness before God because we're under the wrath of God, but also he is our sanctification. In other words, he is the grace by which we grow. We know that we are going to mess up in sin now and in the future. Well, that's covered as well. Right, So it's the double cure. It's fueled by grace. How how does this work? See, we won't get what's ahead of us in these two verses unless we understand this principle of grace. The devil has a religion. I won't go into it, but Satan has a religion. James talks about this. What do you think Satan believes? Is he right about his doctrine? Do you think he knows about God? Yeah. Do you think Satan believes in a a personal devil? Not that you have one personally, but that there is one that exists. Well, of course he does. It's him, right? Do do you think that that he believes that Jesus came, was born, died on the cross, rose again? Do you think he believes those things? Yes. What doesn't the devil have in the devil's religion? Grace. Grace. Right? So we emphasize here at Northbridge having right doctrine, right teaching, a right understanding of the Bible. That's what we do in small groups. It's so important. Right? We, we need that. But if it is devoid of, the, of grace, we're in trouble, aren't we? Right? It has to be fueled with grace. So propositional religion without grace is the devil's religion. We have to be careful of that. So when we, when we come to this text and, and we understand it both for elders, right? And it's going to weigh on us. We know that we're, we, we, it, it ought to weigh, but then we ought to go to grace, right? Go to God's grace, both for forgiveness as, as well as for fuel, for empowerment, right? Right? Um, and so we all go to this we have to we have to understand that lifestyle standards without grace are suffocating they're like an anvil right so the bible does tell us how to live right can i get some amen some interaction here are you guys with me all right yeah did you guys kind of have a rough saturday some of you are like yes all right okay I'm, I'm on you guys right this morning So the Bible does tell us how to live. We cannot live however we want. So sometimes in Christianity, what we do is we react by having these particular standards, right? And and we'd say, well, the Bible does have particular standards. We would agree with that. But standards without grace are just absolutely suffocating. It takes all the, they're, they're an anvil. For example... Um, let, me, let me give a household example, because I think we'll understand this passage um, in this. Uh, parents that want uh, for their children, they, they want for their children biblical values, right? They want those kinds of things for their children. Um, and that's, that's not a wrong thing. It's a good thing. But you can want for good for someone, you, you want something good for someone, but then you can actually try to press them to it in the wrong way. Correct? You can want that for it, but you can try to press them in a way that's like an anvil. It's suffocating, and, and it, honestly, it just doesn't work. It frustrates everyone. Um, there's an Old Testament principle. I've kind of joked about this, that like in the Old Testament I would struggle because you can't have cheeseburgers because there's this idea of combining meat and milk. The actual command is um, don't boil a, like don't take a goat and boil the mother's milk and then cook the, the meat of the goat in the mother's milk, right? That was forbidden in Old Testament law, right? So actually the, what happened is that they took it one step further and said, well, you can't you can't combine cheese because it's a dairy product with burgers. However, I'm eating a cheeseburger for lunch, um, and I'm already hungry. So, like, that's not really what it's after. What is the principle after? The principle is is this: that which was that which creates life and causes life to be flur- to flourish should not be used as an instrument of death. Do you see how the Old Testament principle now connects with New Testament grace? The standard, the high standard that God calls us to live by should not be used as a hammer to strike one another. How do we avoid that? Grace. It's grace. You see, parents, your job is not to get your children to conform to the standard. And all the children said, hallelujah, and all chaos broke loose. That's what parents are thinking. Wait a minute. If, if my, job, my job is not to, con- to, to get them to conform to the standard, what, what is it? And this applies directly to this passage where we're going today. Your job is to get them to love the standard. Your job is to get them to love the standard, right? That's, that's parents' job is to get them to, to, to love the standard. If they don't love the standard, then what are you supposed to do, right? And this, is what, this is the instruction that Paul is giving to Timothy. The instruction is to lower the standard for the, the, the child and raise the standard for yourself. That, that's, that is the instruction. Lower the standard for the child and raise the standard for yourself. You see, children oftentimes don't love the standard because parents have high expectations of their children and what? Low expectations of themselves, right? And the Bible comes to us and says, no, the formula is actually the opposite. Lower the standard for the children because you're doing what? You're training them up, but not just to outwardly conform, That's the devil's religion. But to do what? To place into their heart a love for God's standard. And so what you have to do is you've got to raise the standard for yourself and lower the standard for a child. Now, there's so much to say. Like, it doesn't mean that, you know, I I don't think that children should obey or they should, you know, I'm not saying that you should. um, It's not about like, well, child, if you don't feel like it, that's not what I'm saying, you know, you can do whatever you want. You have to feel like it. That's, that's a warping and twisting of what I'm saying. So I'm, and I don't have to time. To, there's a balance to this. There's a balance to God's grace, right? We say God's grace exists, but it doesn't exist apart of from his justice as well. Actually, it's, grace can only happen because what does Jesus do, right? He is both the, the justifier, right? He justifies us, right? He makes and he pays the penalty for our sins, right? He gives us righteousness, but he also pays the penalty. So there's justice in God's grace. That's a whole nother message. So again, I'm not saying that parents just allow your children to do whatever they feel like, okay? Don't hear that as well. We just don't have time to cover all of that here, right? So parents, oftentimes they want high standards for their children and low standards for themselves. So let me illustrate it this way. A little pet peeve of mine is children um, chewing their food loudly at the table, right? And they're kind of just chewing, you know. And, and so if, if, if a child is chewing their food loudly at the table, and then the dad yells at the child for bad manners, who has bad manners? The dad has bad manners, right? The, it's the father has bad manners, not the child, right? So how should the child respond? Some of you parents are ducking right now. (laughs) I can see it. I can't see you that that are at home, but I'm sure there's like eyeballs in, in the living room there, right? It's the dad that has bad manners. Why? Because, you know, he's responding without what? Without grace, right? It's not that the child is doing something correct. Actually, they're doing something that has manners but what's happening is that parent has what high standards for the child and what low standards for themselves you see without grace you can't get them to love the standard without grace you can't get them to love the standards this is something that i have seen that kids love what their parents love when they are loved Right? I have been around long enough to see this in kids' lives. And it doesn't really matter. This is not necessarily a spiritual thing. right? It's not a spiritual thing. You think about your hobbies, the things that you do, the things that you love, as well as the God who created you that you love. If you love God like those things, your children will love those things. And your children will love God as well. <clears throat> Without grace, you can't get them to love the standards, the standard. But kids will love what their parents love when they are loved. But what do we oftentimes do? We oftentimes take things like the Sabbath, right? The day of rest, the Lord's day, this day. And what do we do? We make it a, about a list of, of things that you can't do, right? And that's probably not the ditch we have fallen into as a church culture or as a culture, um, what we do is we just do away with it all, do away with the commands altogether, so that our children oftentimes don't even understand why the principle is in place, right? But oftentimes it's like we, we make it this list. These are the things that we can't do and they never actually really learn to love what God has given. What is the Lord's Day all about? It's about God's goodness. It's about the fact that he loves us enough to tell us we're not in control that all of creation is here for our enjoyment as we enjoy the the one who gives all of creation right it's a day to slow down it's a day to feast right it's a day to laugh and be with friends it's a day to worship the one who gives life and the one who redeems Now, let's take all of this, get into the text, and I'm going to apply it to me, elders, pastors. And then I'll think you'll see how this works out um, in your own lives as well. So in some ways, with these two principles, I've applied this, shifting and the principle of grace. Shifting from churchianity to Christianity in the principle of grace. So let me read the passage again, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as, as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So one point, we have one point to this message, and, and this, is, this is it. Do not rebuke, but encourage Right, so so one would think that as you read the text that do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father applies simply to that. But that the, the do not rebuke but encourage is the overarching statement. So it is do not rebuke but encourage younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. Do not rebuke younger women. Um, do not rebuke younger women but rather encourage them as sisters right it applies to every single statement it is not simply um to that first that first statement of older men so so timothy is not to rebuke but he's to do what encourage who all people. Now we're transitioning, right? Some of you are like, hey, um, we're a little bit older here, and you've been talking a lot about families these last few weeks. And, and so like, when, when are you going to get to us? Well, that's chapter five, right? Um, and here you can see it's older and younger, older and younger. It's, it's everybody, everybody. And so here, Timothy is instructed not to rebuke um, but to encourage. That governs the entire passage. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, doesn't Paul command in other places that pastors, elders, are to rebuke? Yes. So let's look at that. Um, the, the, there's clear teaching in the New Testament that pastors of the gospel need to prepare and deliver a rebuke, um, uh, that that is something that they're called to. Jesus rebuked some as well so we we see that in the in the ministry of of jesus in titus chapter one verse nine paul lists qualifications of pastors or elder and one of the qualifications in titus is this he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it So one of the qualifications is he needs to know how to rebuke. Titus 1.13, Paul's referring to people who are living um, in a sinful way, claiming to be a Christian. They're they're members of the local church. And he says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith. So Titus was instructed, Titus is the pastor, Um, to rebuke sinful people in the church, and the rebuke was to be how? Sharp. It was to be sharp. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, Paul encourages Timothy to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. So there As preaching, preaching ought to function in one of the ways um, as a rebuke. You can look down to verse 20 in chapter 5. And notice that Paul instructs Timothy to rebuke um, here, even in this passage. Uh, There we read, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so so, so that the rest may stand in fear. This is actually rebuking of an elder who persists in sin. So elders are actually instructed to rebuke one another if they persist in sin. And that rebuke needs to be public. Why? Because people ought to go, wait a minute, if I'm persisting in sin, right, hence all the other scriptures, then what's going to happen? I should expect a rebuke from my pastor's. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we, we, we actually have something that's happening here that I want to, to, to zoom in on. 1 right? Timothy chapter 5, um, verse 1, that rebuke, that word is unique. Right, It's unique. Um, I, I'm going to tell you this. This is not why you pay me the big bucks. If you have Lagos software or you can do a Google search, you can find out these very simple things about the text. So this is not like pastoral magic right? This is just looking at the, the Greek text and how it's translated into English. So the word rebuke, it, um, it's translated from a particular Greek word that we find 17 times in the New Testament. It means to bring to light, to expose, to s- set forth, or to display, to put on display. Um, it's Translated in the the English standard version, the version that I'm reading from, in a number of ways: reprove, rebuke, expose, tell, convict. Those are the English words that are used for this. However, in this passage in First Timothy chapter five verse one, you have a word that appears only one time in the Greek New Testament. So it's translated rebuke, um, but it is stronger than the word that's translated seventeen times. That means rebuke. Uh, it might be translated as to strike or to snap at, right? So that so it's a very strong word here. I, I want you to be able to see that. So when it says, do not rebuke, do not snap, do not strike, but encourage, he, he's telling Timothy that those that are pastors must not be harsh or short-tempered or snippy, right? So, um, that's important for our understanding here. The word encourage means to ask for something earnestly, to request, to plead for, to appeal. Um, that's, that's what it means to, to encourage. Um, so I, as, as we look at this, you know, I think our current elders have done a great job in this. A great job in this. But it's also an instruction and a warning. To us, there's two ditches that we can run into, right? The one ditch is the ditch of negligence, where pastors ignore sin within a congregation due to fear um, or laziness, and they slide into that particular ditch. But there's also another one that Paul is reminding us here, the other side of the road, and it's the ditch of harshness harshness right so pastors and elders who allow their hearts to grow hard or impatient towards the congregation slide into that into that ditch what is the key what keeps us on the road it's understanding the grace of God right it's understanding the grace of God Do you see how this works see elders pastors sometimes can what have too high of a standard for the congregation and what Come on now, it's your opportunity. Come on down, you can shine, and at home. Too high of a, a standard for the congregation, and what? Too low of a standard for what? For themselves. That's what Paul is instructing Timothy. And what needs to happen? There needs to have a shift, right? Encourage means, to, right? Encouragement is oxygen, Right? So pastors are to breathe oxygen in. and right Pastors are to teach in the same way as parents, what do you do? It's not that you eliminate the standard. And and we say, well, lower the standard, but the goal is not to keep the standard low, is it? No, the goal is to help them love the standard, so what? As they love the standard, they themselves will look to the standard that is Jesus, whether this is in the household of home or the household of faith. In that through sanctification by grace and a love for the standard, right? They will. They will go up. They will. They will rise up. So this is given to elders. Here's how you run the home. Where are elders trained? Here's how you run the household of faith. Where are elders trained? to do this they're trained in the home that's why we make this connection so we have to ask ourselves husbands is it your habit to rebuke your wife or to encourage her right is it is it the habit right this is where all husbands at this point we all get on our knees and we confess right that's what we need to do right is it your habit not every once in a while but is your habit to encourage or, or get snippy? Wives, is it your habit to rebuke your husband or encourage him? And, and what about parents? You rebuke or encourage your children. And elders, do you rebuke or encourage your congregation? Right, this is something that we need to watch and care for in one another's lives. It's so very important. And so here are those categories and I'm just going to draw this to a close, even though I'm at, what am I at? I'm at page four of nine. Um, but I think we get it. I can see it in your eyes, your understanding. I won't even go through all the older men. There is one phrase that I think is really important that I don't want us to miss, right? So um, it, it instructs, encourage an older man as you would a father, Right? younger men as brothers. Can you see how these households blend in their understanding? Right? This is not a corporate understanding. It doesn't say, encourage, encourage this person in your church like a co-worker in Jesus. Right? It's not a corporate understanding. It's like, you know, the men that are around my age, they're my brothers. Right? The, the women that are older than me, They, I I ought to encourage them as I speak to my mother, right? And sisters, right? I ought to encourage them rather than rebuke them. Now, here's one of the things um, that the text states, which is so very important. We have, and we're we're not going to go into this, but we have a very traditional view of the household. probably picked up on that as we've gone through this series right so our culture um, especially would look at at the uh, the biblical view of gender and sexuality and those kinds of things as oppressive Um, but notice how the text notice what it says here older women verse 2 as mothers younger women as sisters in what way in all purity, right? It says, hands off. Care for them. Protect them. They're your sister, right? So I I don't have to cross-reference this. I don't have time, but, right? We always uh, told our boys, right, that your number one job is, when you're out with your sisters, is to do what? Protect them at all costs, right? And that's what it's saying here, all right? So we, we will look at this in different ways as we encounter in the text, but it, it needs to be duly noted here that this was not the prevalent view in Timothy's culture, right? So here you have within a culture that actually was demeaning to women, the church is saying, no, you lift them up and you care for them as sisters in all purity, right? Emphasized, right? The uplifting. You're going to see that all through the Bible, that, that the culture oftentimes is down here. And while the Bible doesn't set everything right, right? It doesn't set everything right at once. It's always moving ahead, constantly pulling on the culture in a trajectory Moving it up towards what? The standard, right? And how does that, how do we do that? We're gonna talk about that in April. I'm not gonna talk about that. We have a guest speaker who's gonna talk about how, how do we move the culture towards the biblical standard, right, that's that whole series. So now how do I end this now that I've discarded Five pages of notes. We end it with grace. Right? We transition and we say, okay, this is God's word. Where is it that I'm not living up to the standard? Well, that's an important thing to view you look at your life and maybe you've come in here knowing what we haven't talked about this this is the way to live and this is how we haven't you know we haven't we haven't meted those kinds of things out but maybe just even through this God's convicting you that you're not you're not measuring up to the standard what do you do well the answer is grace you ask for forgiveness and what does God do see all through the Bible there's one accuser. Do you know who the accuser is in the Bible? It's Satan. He's the accuser. Guess who's the defense attorney? It's Jesus, right? He's both the de- defense attorney and the payment for your sin. He is there to defend you. So when you go to him, what is he going to continue to do? He's going to continue to give you grace. And maybe you have failed and you've been snippy rather than an encourager. I think we could all say that, right? I don't know if there's anybody in the room that measures up to that. So what do you need to do? Go to grace go to Christ, confess, and what is he going to do? Is he gonna go, okay, you've confessed, here's the standard, right? No, you know what he's gonna do? Is he's gonna teach you by grace to love his standard. You see, that's so unique in Christianity, right? People that are outside the faith, right, we are to be persuasive, but we never have to twist their arms. You never have to, forcibly in any way with words or make them a christian in fact you can't why because they have to understand god's love right and it's only through the miracle of that kind of shift and change that they begin to love what god loves and they give their life to them what are we we are simply to do what encourage them encourage them breathe oxygen breathe the love of god in their lives. That does not negate the standard, but rather it teaches the world, it teaches those around you, it teaches those in the church and in your household who Jesus is, and it allows God to change their heart, to love God's standard. We're going to pray, and uh, when I pray, we're, we're going to um, respond simply by um, going to the, the North Bridge app. And uh, you can record a prayer request there. Um, if you want some additional instruction, we have counseling available. And don't be intimidated by counseling. I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a friendship-friendly conversation um, where two people open God's word and you get direction for your life. And so if you need counseling, we've got counselors available. Um, if you need prayer, we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you that's what we want to do um we we make a commitment to god not to rebuke you in this way here now if a rebuke in another way is needed we make a commitment to do that um, but you need to encourage us as well as as pastors and elders we are not, this passage right this book is written to us and it's applied to all of us And so we want to encourage you because we love you and we want you to love the standard. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Um, It is, uh, um, it's like a, a glass of water on a hot day. It is refreshing to us. Because it demonstrates your love and your perfection. Um, It puts on display the majesty of what Jesus did on the cross. It shows us how to move forward. Um, It doesn't condemn us. But rather it redeems us. So thank you for this moment. Thank you for worship. Um, May your spirit work on our hearts. As elders, as heads of households, as members in the church, may we encourage one another in the same way that you have encouraged and loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.